Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, my name is Eric Eastead. And I'm Scott Reevely. And this is another episode of the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back. Today, I want to start by talking about Hanlon's Razor. Oh. This is distant cousin of Occam's Razor. Let me just interrupt right there. <laughs> You're talking about a razor. And uh, the listeners need to know what's in your office. What is... Oh. <laughs> we have... So this is just... Eric may cut this out, I don't know, in the editing process. But I just want you to know that we've had some squirrels break into the church. They happen to break into Eric's office. With a vengeance. And and there's a hole about the size of a, somebody's face. And they've kind of scratched this nesting material out. And it looks like a beard. And so <laughs> our, our um, administrative assistant put um, the... Uh, picture of Eric uh, on top of that hole with the beard coming out, and it's just wonderful. And it just made me think, you, my friend, could use Hanlon's razor or Occam's razor or anybody's <laughs> razor in your office. There you go. Oh man, that is that's a tough segue, uh, <laughs> but it is true. I have I a- have active squirrels invading my office, and sometimes they're they sound angry at me because they will be in the walls and they will. Uh, well, they're trying to study. And well, you're, they're trying you're to study. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, anyway, I may need a, need a razor in my office. We definitely need razors in our thinking. And Hanlon's razors is one of those. Um, Occam's razor, if you recall, talks about uh, if if one answer to a problem will suffice. There's there's no reason to talk about multiple answers to uh, multiple causes to a problem. Um that's uh, the simplest solution is the best solution, basically. Yep. And then Hanlon's razor is, I'm not sure if it's a parody or, or what, but basically do not attribute to malice what could better be attributed to stupidity or incompetence. Um, and I've lately been using this thought quite a bit and have, have added fear. Um, and the reason this has been coming to mind quite a bit is as I have conversations with people, um, I don't know about you, listener, but I'm still having conversations about the pandemic because it's still going on. And uh, particularly about uh, the government's response to the pandemic. That's it's it's less. We're, we're not talking about viruses so much. We're more talking about government. And often I will hear um, a a suspicion, but probably stronger than a suspicion, that the government has it out for us. They they are they are actively against us. Not just that they've made some decisions and they. Um, they happen to affect us in adverse ways, but they are actively for uh, our ill. And one of the things I've been thinking in that is, is Hanlon's razor. Um, some government official may be making an incompetent decision. They may be making a fearful decision. Um, they may be more fearful than you or I about some things. And they could make their decision based on that input. It doesn't have to be on a, you know what, I'm going to get after Scott. And I'm going to do this thing so that Scott really... So his life is miserable. Thank you very much. Yes. 
So don't attribute to malice what can better be attributed to fear or incompetence. Mm-hmm. That's your that's your razor. That's my razor. That's a razor for today. Mm-hmm. And then the, the the reason that that comes up when you're talking about the government being against us, it sounds very apocalyptic. It mm-hmm. sounds like uh, it's uh, uh, really a uh, going to be kind of the end of the world kind of thing. And and those things really do kind of smash into one another from a simple uh, requirement for masks or recommendations for vaccines or whatever the case may be. The government has it out against us, and it's only a few short steps then to this uh, really uh, awful situation where the government is... Um, just bringing about the end times, basically. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so that's, I mean, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, is yeah. how, how how should we think about living in uh, this last day? How should we think about living where we are right now, and are we in the end times? I mean, I, I still mm-hmm. remember ordering a drink at Starbucks, and the barista knew me and knew I was a pastor and pulled me pulled me to the side and said, do you think we're at the end times? Do you think we're there? <laughs> and I'm like, I just, you know, I just wanted a coffee. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I mean, they, they go to a different church that has monthly prophecy updates. Mm. And so they get that all the time. And the reality is that how you view the end times, particularly Revelation and some of the prophecies, maybe in Daniel and in First Thessalonians, how you understand them does shape the way that you interact with the world in general and political entities in particular. Mm-hmm. And so it does bear talking about. And, you know, we probably are just going to do bring up more problems than we're going to solve today. Because that's generally what happens when you talk about end times. And if you have problems, you can send them to podcasts that to you like. Eric. <laughs> <laughs> this was his idea. <laughs> but yes, yeah, you can. We'd be happy to do better with more particular mm-hmm. or more specific questions than we're going to do today. We're going to just do some broad strokes, I think, today. And talk about how the broad strokes, though affect our ability to uh, to deal with the world around us and to mm-hmm. deal with political pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and if I can start us somewhere uh, before we dig in a little bit more, you mentioned last days, are we in the last day or, or even in these last days? Um, this is a, a view of the future and, and what you think about the future necessarily defines what you do in the present. Uh, this isn't a question of are we there or not in, in relationship to we, uh, we are in the days after Jesus initiated the kingdom. So, of course, we're in the last days in a, in a, a kingdom perspective. We are in, in the time between when God, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom and when he will um, f- uh, fully consummate the kingdom. So in that re- regard, for sure. Um, and well, OK, you're, you you make that like for sure, like everyone's going to agree with that. Hmm. Okay, that's true. I think it's worth saying that that is a basic structure that we are going to come at this with, Mm -hmm. is that Jesus came and inaugurated the kingdom in his first advent, 
and in a second will consummate the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And between that, we are considering that the last days, or in those are the days that the New Testament is speaking of, from the time of the resurrection of Christ, or Pentecost, however you want to start there, to now and past now until the end. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's important, because what most people think of as the last days are later than this like the next thing that's going to happen right and the tribulation and the millennium and the rapture and the judgment and all those Mm -hmm. cataclysmic events Mm -hmm. but just theologically speaking the the last days uh are are these and we are to be alert even jesus said you know be um be awake and looking for the coming of the Lord mm-hmm. and uh, have your uh, lamps full of oil and ready to pay attention. So mm-hmm. Jesus was telling us then t- to live as though we were in the last days. Right. And then that has not changed. Right. Right. And so that's, that's a fundamental structure that uh, I think does inform us because Certainly, that should give you a little bit of patience mm-hmm. and uh, understanding that whatever Jesus was talking about, whatever Paul was talking about in First Thessalonians, whatever John's talking about in Revelation, they are um, they are ne- not necessarily talking about people looking for the next shoe to drop, and that will be the thing. Mm. And um, even even Jesus told us that, right? That right. nobody knows the hour or the day. Right. And, and you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. and Right. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, be ready. It doesn't necessarily say be guessing, but be ready. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's one an easy shift to make, to, be, to say I want to be ready and to start guessing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got in our... <laughs> and I'll probably put it in the show notes, just a link to a Wikipedia article about uh, a list of dates predicted for apocalyptic events. And it's actually pretty amazing how long that list is. That's a big Wikipedia article. Yeah, about how many different dates and how many of them uh, I have experienced as a pastor and how many times I've rolled my eyes when I read in the newspaper uh, first. Okay, that was back in the 80s and 90s. And then Mm -hmm. in the... um, now on the internet well who's who's predicting the end of the world next Mm -hmm. and uh, that comes from a theological position generally Mm. Um, generally one that is um, probably favors a pre-millennial pre-tribulational view of the rapture and the millennium and so those are um, those are a couple detailed words that probably warrant our defining them Mm -hmm. millennium means a thousand years and it comes from revelation chapter 20 where um john says in romans revelation 20 end of verse 4 says they came to life and reigned with christ for a thousand years 
The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years have ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out and see the nations at the four corners of the earth. And so you can even hear there, I don't know, four or five times, uh, it says a thousand years, a thousand Mm -hmm. years, a thousand years. This really is the place in the whole Bible where it talks about the thousand years. Mm. You don't find that other places. And so this thousand years, you have to decide, what is that all about? Mm. And uh, premillennial, uh, a premillennial view would say that the millennium is coming and that there will be uh, some kind of uh, event that starts it. And um, <clears throat> dispensational perspective on that would say that would be a rapture and then or a tribulation and then a rapture or rapture and then tribulation there is a post-millennial view the post-millennial view is uh, simply that we are here now to bring in this millennium and so our work on in this world is bringing in the millennial thousand year reign of christ um and there would almost be a a seamless transition into not not as much of a uh i don't even know what the question is there but it, it's not cataclysmic it's perhaps. not cat- there we go yeah. it's not cataclysmic yeah and that actually was in the early days of the the our country that was the predominant eschatological view mm-hmm. and uh people that were really uh, you know a lot smarter than me were believing that what they were doing in America actually was was the work of God on earth, bringing about his rule and reign such that uh, the reign of Christ would come. And they were post-millennial. And then there were, um, yeah, then it didn't work out quite that way. And in all fairness, post-millennialism fell out of favor really because it never matriculated into a firm millennial reign of jesus Mm. so that's for what that's worth that's uh there there are still adherents there would still be some post-millennial people yes and that is the the thing about this is post-millennialism is is in some respect quite um optimistic Mm. see and this is one of the things that i that i probably want to pick on as much as anything it's optimistic in other words you know our work in, in and through the church will be successful and it will bring about the reign of Christ and then that will be glorious. And so it's largely optimistic. Whereas the, the premillennial view, which does include a cataclysm before that, is primarily pessimistic. Right. That the whole thing is going to blow up and then Christ will reign. And there is uh, also an amillennial view. So they're the realists? They're a little bit more. I mean, well, in some respect, their uh, their look at things would be that we are currently in this millennium, and that it is not uh, meant to be understood as a literal thousand-year period, but representative of a long time, namely this uh, last days time that you and I mm. spoke of before. And so. Those are more or less your uh, 
three options. Mm. Um, there are people who say they're pan-millennials, which they just simply say it's going to pan out in the end. And that's <laughs> that isn't exactly one of the options. But uh, I, I couldn't write the paper that way. I wanted to, but it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, that that's kind of how it rolls. And and frankly, there is the, the post-millennial view. I like that it's optimistic, but it doesn't really reflect even what's here in Romans or in Revelation 20 that talks about how the end will come the millennium will come so you know i i have a hard time buying that one uh if i read the book of revelation as uh eschatological literature as um and not as a uh, like woodenly literal like who is this beast and who is this horn and how who are these witnesses and how you read you know, it literarily. Yes, as mm-hmm. in any certain um, genre of literature that has to do with uh, prophecy and um, that you recognize the the symbols, you recognize the the numbers are have some symbolism. You recognize the fanciful beasts, these huge angels and the um, dragons, and that are meant to kind of alert you, uh, remind you of Old Testament visions, and uh, give you this perspective that the world is uh, in a, essentially in a war, and that ultimately Jesus will win. And if you read it that way, amillennialism is not an awful option, except that it says when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. And it would be really hard to say right now, looking at the general scope of things, at least it's hard for me to say, mm. that uh, that Satan is in prison and bound and not available to deceive the nations now. It seems like he's doing a good job of that now. Mm. And so I, it's really, that's the primary reason that I can't embrace amillennialism, though it's... Um, there is a fair amount that's attractive to me just in the way of looking at the book of Revelation. So mm. in some respect, that leaves for me the premillennialism uh, option. And then there's other things then that you have to decide about. If if we're in this in-between age and there will be some sort of cataclysm that begins a millennium, what is that like? And uh, what does the scripture say there? Well, and let me just point out we we kind of jokingly added optimism pessimism realism um which is not it's not historically something that that are attached to these but it's there are some postures there and like i don't know how many hundreds of times we've already said this but realize what story you're using and if you you are sitting in a realist story or a optimistic story or a um pessimistic story you are going to for instance, if you if you're premillennial and you know and you know that and you're primarily responding to a pessimistic story, you're going to be pessimistic. You're you're looking for a cataclysmic event, and you pro you you are prone to care less about what's going on um, because the cataclysm's coming. It does some of these things don't matter as much because I know what's going to come in the future. So that'll that'll affect your your actions. That'll affect the way you think about the world uh, for good or ill. I'm, I don't know exactly how you're thinking about it, but 
that's something to ponder. What story is informing your actions in the present? Yeah, I, th- I think the story idea is a, is a good one and a good way to think about these things. Um, I would say in some respects, if you're expecting a cataclysm, things are going to matter more rather than less, mm-hmm. to at least to a lot of people telling themselves that story, mm. because they're looking for the harbinger, the thing that's going to bring about this uh, cataclysm. Mm-hmm. And is it going to be... Um, the election of another president is it mm. going to be the uh, run on the Capitol building last year? Is mm. it going to be Y two K? I mean, there's been right. all of these things. Are uh, people are on the edge of their seat to say, is this going to be the time? Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, that so one of the pieces to this cataclysm at the end is to decide what is the what, if anything, does the Bible say about uh, the rapture of the church? And uh, the, the the word rapture comes from a Latin um, word that is used in uh, translation of First Thessalonians 4, 17 and 18, which says, when we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord, and therefore encourage one another with these words. That is, for the most part, the the text that um, suggests a rapture. And um, that is... In, in my mind, the, in the way that I'm looking at this now and this point in my uh, theological and eschatological journey mm. is that First um, Thessalonians 4 really goes with First Thessalonians 5. Mm. And there is, a, there is a chapter break right after encourage one another with these words that goes into the day of the Lord which would be that cataclysm that, that mm-hmm. we might be thinking about. And rather than saying this is a separate event that happens you know, with a, separated by Daniel's seven years uh, or 70th, or seven, what, his last seven or whatever, however people go with that, uh, I, would, I would say that this is part of the... Uh, inauguration of the day of the lord mm. or that final judgment day but but that's not how i grew up okay and i i am talking about this in a kind of fairly sober straightforward way like oh i've got this all figured out and i really i really don't but i do know that this gives me a worldview uh, a different worldview looking at it like the lord's going to come back mm-hmm and that's what I need to know, mm-hmm. as opposed to I wonder if I'm going to be raptured out of this right. and escape it. There is this, um, there's what's called a pre-tribulational view of the rapture, which uh, probably was the more pre- most predominant view of the rapture, which meant that before um, the, the uh, Daniel's 70th week, uh, which would be a tribulational seven years of tribulation that before that there would be a rapture of the church and the church will be taken out before there is this awful mm. tribulation period in the world 
and which makes it a huge rescue event basically yes and then after that seven years is over then you have the day of the lord and the inauguration of the uh, millennium and that is i think it's important probably to recognize that that is a fairly recent uh that pre-tribulational rapture makes a relatively recent appearance on the theological stage Mm. uh in the early early 19th century, uh, John Nelson Darby put that forth. It, some there's some debate about whether or not you know he was the first to think of it, but uh, it, it really is only it's not even 200 years old, mm. and uh, this, it got really included in the Schofield Reference Bible, which is a Bible I grew up with, mm. which had the end times kind of charted out. <clears throat> With this rapture, tribulation, um, millennium, the late great planet Earth by Hal Lindsey and uh, some of the Left Behind books really popularized this. I was going to say, I got the Left Behind books, man. I, w- I was a young kid reading those, uh, keeping way too many hours reading those books. Oh, there <laughs> they're fascinating. They're, that's they're a fun exci- story. They're exciting. <laughs> Very know, exciting. Yeah. And so... Um, and that's an exciting story. I mean, there was a movie about that, I think I've already said, mm-hmm. where it scared me basically enough that I gave my life to Christ. And so that's, a, it, it, that's how uh, that is. It's a scary mm-hmm. ending to uh, this world. And the reason that I want to say that is because that's what um, people who hold this pre-tribulational rapture view are looking for in the news. Mm. They are looking for that scary event. Mm -hmm. And they've been essentially trained to look for that event. And so that's kind of why we're bringing this up, actually, is because we're seeing that behind everything. And, I mean, we've, we've had that with conversations about masks or vaccines that Mm -hmm. that may not be the uh, the thing that brings about the end but boy you know they're wearing us down they're getting us ready they're gonna they're setting up this is the this is the jab before the right hook that will put us down and end everything it is that sort of setup uh, i don't know there's some kind of setup theology there too that Mm. that a lot of people um, believe that the we're, the church is just going to be completely asleep and worn down by uh, these sorts of governmental demands. And I, I, I don't really think that that's very clear in the Bible. Mm. Uh, we import that from other places. Right, and if it's like anything. If you queue up your mind to see something, you're going to start seeing it very often. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of getting a, a, a new-to-you car, not a new car, but just a new-to-you a new car that you hadn't had before, and then all of a sudden, everyone has this car. Mm-hmm. I see this car all over the place. Um, you didn't see it before, but now that you drive the same thing, I drive a Jeep, so there's the wave. And every time you pass someone who drives a Jeep, you, you wave to each other. And you don't even notice Jeeps until you drive a Jeep. Um, never that's seen kind a of Jeep. The, I've never seen a Jeep before in yeah. my life. Um, that's kind of the same thing, though. I'm going to cue myself up to be looking for these dangerous things or the these events and that gives you a posture of a fear of mm-hmm. uncertainty of uh su- suspicion uh with a lot of things that are going on yeah i mean there are a couple 
There are a couple of things. I mean, if we've heard people say uh, that uh, I don't have, there are no problems in my life that a rapture wouldn't solve, which uh, that may be true. Uh, escaping from this world sounds nice on many, many occasions to me. Mm-hmm. And so that I think is some of the, 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 the rapture encourages Christians to hope for an escape. Mm. And that changes how we engage with the world. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to say that. Then on, in the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, there's an article about the rapture that talks about the different views of the rapture and all of that. And it ends with this paragraph that I thought was worth reading. And we can include this in the show notes too. But it says, the pre-tribulational rapture is one of the major doctrines of dispensationalists and leads them to adopt a miraculous view of social ethics as well as a negative attitude towards society. Those who hold this view have a narrow outlook toward the church and its mission, culture and education, and current events. Their version of Christ against culture has imparted to 20th century evangelicals a spirit of withdrawal and suspicion toward others. Hmm. And I think that's really the reason we're even talking about this here is because the, the, that view makes me suspicious. It makes me right. suspicious of a conspiracy, makes me suspicious of government overreach, makes me suspicious. And it's sort of built in to this theological position, though I don't think you see it in the same way necessarily in the scriptures. Mm. And so I, I think it's just worth suggesting that uh, making much of what would be a really minor kind of a doctrine in mm-hmm. the scriptures, one that is a little bit unclear even in the only time it's mentioned in First Thessalonians 4 there, making much of that changes the outlook that you have on the world and on the, on the political situation, uh, certainly on the problems that we have. So mm-hmm. um, all that said, if there's a rapture that's going to pull me out and I'm going to be good, that sounds pretty great. <laughs> but I don't know that I think that the Bible teaches that. At this point in my journey, mm. I'm, I'm not expecting to be miraculously delivered mm-hmm. uh, by a rapture. Uh, I think I'm going to be in it until Christ comes and takes me away to be with him and others to judgment. Mm. See, I think we misread some other texts like uh, Matthew 24 and 25, where we say one will be taken, one will be left. We'll say, oh, I want to be the one taken. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Mm. No. Matthew 24, uh, I think it's 24, it might be 25, says that the one that's taken away is taken away to judgment. You don't want to be taken away. Mm. And so I think we misread some of those, again, based on this uh, doctrine and way of thinking about it. So anyway, that's just my, that's my view of it. And um, I, uh, it's not probably even the predominant view of people in our church. I'm mm. just going to say, because they grew up like I grew up. Mm. And m- my wrestling with it has left me here, but uh, not everybody is there and, I love them, and that's okay. And uh, I just, 
I do want to, I don't want to really rain on their parade. I mean, hoping to be raptured is all well and good. What I do hope, though, is to to moderate the suspicion, to moderate the right. um, the spirit of withdrawal, and prompt a spirit of engagement, and mm-hmm. uh, take away rather a negative attitude towards society, and try and give them a positive one. Right. And so that is, I, I do want to, I want to affect that, regardless of what they're hoping for in a rapture. Right. That would be my take yeah, on it. If you it. can have a view of the rapture that does not come with it, the baggage of suspicion and the vag- the baggage of Christ, uh, pitting Christ against culture, then that that's fine too. It's, it's more when I unthinkingly allow myself to engage that way in the world mm-hmm. that is, is the difficulty is the, is the problem really. Yeah. There's uh there's probably one other thing that I at least want to bring up here uh, as we're talking about these end time uh, type uh, positions that affect the way we think about things. Um, there is this uh, in Revelation, the mark of the beast. And uh, it's in Revelation 13 and it, this is how it reads. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast and the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. That... That is pretty exciting. <laughs> so, <laughs> Eric's speechless. So there we go. I was just thinking in my mind, bum bum bum. But what I re- like, I said, I, l- I didn't read all the Left Behind books. There was a lot of them, so I didn't actually finish. But um, I remember nowadays people will talk about maybe the vaccine or something as the mark of the beast, which is an interesting take. Uh, but I remember when the Apple Watch came out, oh. and I thought. I'm going to see so many Facebook posts about this and so many Twitter posts because I can actually, with my watch, buy things because I have Apple Pay or whatever. Oh, do you have it on your right hand? Actually, I wear it on my left hand to avoid the possibility that it is the market. Close call. (laughs) But I remember like jokingly bracing for the memes about the Apple Watch, Mm -hmm. and they didn't come. Like This is a very good (laughs) analogy for this. And it, it was just interesting that, uh, not the Apple Watch. That thing's that thing's cool, I guess. <laughs> it yeah. can't be that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the I think the main thing that probably is worth talking about at this juncture in human history, as I understand it, again, I'm mm-hmm. going to qualify it and try and be humble here. If you see it differently than I do, you that's fine. Uh, email Eric. But um, I don't see people taking this mark of the beast by accident Mm. or being hoodwinked yes or like waking up one morning and all of a sudden you've got this mark that you don't want i think that this is a um it's not an accidental thing for one Mm -hmm. Uh, two it's very very likely that it is a um that this number 666 is the um, the trinity of imperfection 
I mean, 777 would be three perfects in a row. 666 is short of perfection three times in a row. Mm -hmm. And and it goes on to say, calculate the number of the beast. It's the number of a man. And he's very careful to say, and his number is 666, that this number means something. Mm -hmm. And it is not a perfect number. So I think there's there's a high degree of likelihood that 666, this is a figure for uh, essentially a humanism, a belief in humanity that you completely buy into. But even if it's not, even if it is a literal 666 and you're going to wear it as a tattoo or Mm. a barcode or something on your forehead or hand, you're not going to get that accidentally. Like they're not going to sneak it into a vaccine for you. Right. You're going to get that because you willfully side with the beast mm-hmm. against Christ. Mm-hmm. And if you're not intending to side with the beast against Christ, then take a deep breath and it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. That would be my mm-hmm. uh, my take on it. But that's, and, and I mean, I it's been, I don't know, it's been two months maybe since I told somebody that and they said, oh, that just gives me so much relief. Mm. Like they were living in fear that they right. would accidentally, one way or the other, whether mm-hmm. they vote by mail or whether they get an Apple Watch or whether they take the vaccine or whatever, that they're going to accidentally get this mark of the beast. And mm-hmm. I, I just see that as aligning yourself with the opposition uh, deliberately right. rather than just waking up one day and realizing I've, you've made a terrible mistake. Right. So. You are not, as someone who wants to be connected to Jesus, going to accidentally pit yourself against him, aligning with others. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I hope as we talk through these, we, we've hit a couple of things, um, but I hope that it's obvious we're not trying to go, this is the right way to think about these particular uh, difficult, particularly difficult uh, passages and how to interpret them, more counseling some humility. Um, one, I don't know ultimately how this is going to uh, present itself, and that that lack of precision ought to give me some humility about how I interact today, because mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. Um, that's why I like the pan option. <laughs> it's all going to pan, uh, but I I think we need to lean into the things that we are certain about. Um, and we are certain about, I, I wrote down sovereignty of God. God is in control. God is not surprised by the things that uh, angst us. And that has not changed now or in past difficulties. Um, he is in control. He is aware of what is going on. He has um, a plan that will work together for good, all those who are called according to his purpose. And that will be brought to completion. Um He's the first and the last, the beginning mm-hmm. and the end, the Alpha and Omega. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. It's this the whole scope of human history is his. I think that's one of the that's one of the great things about the sovereignty of God and the glory of Jesus. I mean, that's what Revelation is about, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. is Jesus being the one that is worthy to uh, open the scroll of history mm-hmm. there. In Revelation, uh, is that chapter five? Four? Chapter five. Yep. He's worthy to unroll the scroll of history, and that's what I think he's doing mm-hmm. there. And 
the the beauty of it is that the the line of the tribe of Judah has conquered and he is the one going to open the scroll because he has done all that's necessary to bring about the consummation of all things. Mm. And so the glory of Jesus is wrapped up in us believing that he holds history mm. in his hand rather than believing that we hold history right. in our it's going to be how the vote turns out or how the you know the this policy gets enacted or anything else uh it is going to be the sovereignty of God and this true king that mm. um that unravels and well holds history together until it's time for it to be culminated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so that um i part of me wants to read <laughs> revelation 5 i don't know that i can really because it's uh you know i well i'll try how's that yeah, i'd ask you to i don't know that you can either but i'm gonna start in verse 9 of <laughs> revelation 5 and they sing a new song Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Hmm. And there are, are a few things to note about that for sure. One is that Jesus holds the scroll of history in his hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you belong to him, you do not need to fear. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I think that we should notice is that he does establish his political rule Mm. and his political entity. um, He has made them into a kingdom Mm -hmm. and priest to our God, and they shall reign. And so he's um, busy really exercising his political uh, rights over the world there. So when people say, well, it's church isn't political, uh, well, it is because <laughs> it's just not the politics we're used to right. because we yeah. have a king there. And I think then, so that's that's really important. I, that, I would throw that all under the sovereignty that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we've been talking a lot about here, because we've been talking about Sermon on the Mount, is the kingdom of God, where Jesus came preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there's a sense in which the kingdom of heaven is now, mm-hmm. and yet we, it very clearly, the kingdom of heaven is not yet. So we live in this period of time that we talked about at the beginning, mm-hmm. where there is this inaugurated kingdom, but not this consummated kingdom. And what we experience is a foretaste of that coming kingdom. I think what Jesus is establishing here uh, in this world is, you know, and we've talked about this several times before, Mm -hmm. 
is little embassies of this other kingdom that take you know residence in the kingdoms of man and so the 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 christian households the churches are those ambassadors and embassies that then in turn represent the kingdom uh, until jesus comes and establishes it for uh, good so that is the I think that's an important factor in the way that we see history play out too. Mm -hmm. And we see ourselves, this is an identity piece for me about the church, that the church sees itself as uh, a foreign embassy, that Christians see themselves as ambassadors of another kingdom, as though they are exiles in their own land here Mm -hmm. in America, or if you're in another country, in your country, you, you don't belong there. You are an exile who happens to represent the king and the kingdom so that one day, you know, you're pointing there all the time, one day then the king will return and will exercise his rule like it talks about here in Revelation. So right. anyway, that that is, an, in some respect, that's an eschatological view, a view of the end times. But in another respect, it's very much a, a real-world perspective on mm-hmm. what am I doing today? Mm-hmm. When, I, when I go to the grocery store next, who am I? What am I doing? I'm right. not looking around the corner for some sort of cataclysm or mark of the beast or whatever. I am an ambassador of the heavenly kingdom mm-hmm. representing Jesus in this kingdom and so my identity changes quite a lot and so does so does the peace that i have and mm-hmm. the, in the way that i go so anyway i don't know people didn't sign up for a sermon on this one but i um i think they may have <laughs> the, it does this i would advocate that the way that i'm looking at it, it for me especially i'll just to keep it personal for me you know, it gives me a piece about the world situation and the mm-hmm. crises I read on the on the news and the things people are worried about. I just take a deep breath and say, you know what? It's uh, I I know the one who holds history in his hand, and I'm his ambassador, right. and my church is his embassy, and we're we're going to be okay when he unfolds right. history and ultimately comes to rule. Right. And I don't have to try and read the tea leaves about this or that. Uh, border crisis or mm-hmm. you know hostage crisis or uh, coup or anything like that mm-hmm. so. yeah I think that's helpful and and it, it is rooted in the things about which we can be most certain yes. in scripture which gives me great confidence and also it's a it's a peaceful posture but it also is not a flippant posture which I I think is interesting there there can be engagement there so I hope this is helpful for everyone. Um, if you have questions based on any of this stuff, uh, send them to podcastandnewlifenw.com and we can maybe do some follow-up stuff. that We, we threw a bunch at you all. With a special note to Eric. Special note to Eric. Kids. He wants to Questions. make sure you copy Eric. <laughs> um, so you can do that if you want. And uh, it, But in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us. If you find this stuff helpful, a review really does go a long way. We've seen several reviews uh, in the past couple days that were actually just really encouraging, and we're thankful to see them. Um, 
and but we don't we're not asking them just so we're encouraged they're also helpful uh, so if you could do that that would be helpful and uh, share this with a friend again send us questions if you have them um, and we will look forward to the next conversation on the next episode <laughs>